0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Wow, we're enthusiastic today. I like it. Um, We're continuing our series in the book of Galatians. So uh, let me go ahead and read our passage for us today. Uh, This is Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 15 through 21. So we're going to go through uh, this section, uh, which I should warn you ahead of time uh, is probably quite confusing. Uh either, maybe, okay, let me make a false dichotomy. Um, either I will read this and you will say, I have no clue what you're talking about at all. Or you will say, I agree, I understand that what the things you're saying are vaguely good and I agree with it as a Christian, but I don't really know what it means. So in both, it, it, let me just read it. Actually, sorry, let me, let me, let me ask you this. Um, I want you to think as I'm reading it uh, your uh, what do you call it? Uh, your rate of comprehension. Okay, so you know rate of comprehension. You read a passage and you're like, what percentage of the passage do you think you actually understand? If you were, if you had to restate this passage in your own words, um, what? How accurately would you be able to do it? How much of it you would, would you be able to do? Okay. So this is Galatians chapter two, verses fifteen through twenty-one. We ourselves are Jews by birth. And not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. How are we doing so far? (laughs) How are we doing so far? Let me keep going. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, uh, you say in other parts of the Bible that parts of Paul are hard to understand. um, And Lord, it is hard for our hearts to grasp um, the riches of your grace. And so I pray, Lord, by your spirit, uh, you would be opening up um, our minds and hearts to hear from your word of grace. Um, You would help us understand what it means to be righteous and justified, um, not by what we do, but by our trust in Jesus. Um, And so I pray, Lord, that as we go through this book, um, and even today, you would be setting people free uh, from the slavery of the law, um, and you would be opening up a new way of living, uh, a new way of living to you. Uh, through faith. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, uh, let's be honest here. Uh, If you feel like you could restate every single sentence in this passage uh, accurately, raise your hand. Good, because I'm with you. (laughs) This is a really hard passage, and so there are certain sections that... um, I, like, I really was struggling through this this week. Um, how many of you think you got roughly like half of it? Maybe like 50% you kind of sort of understand? Okay, Uncle Roger, like maybe a few people. A <laughs> few people, Uncle Chris. Maybe a few people get it. How many people are at like 25%? Yeah, some people. How many people are at like 10%? Who, who did not understand a single thing that I just said? It's fine, raise your hand. Who's that in the back? Okay, Bob, Daniel, die. (laughs) This is a really really tough passage. So let me try to first start off by explaining why this is so important, okay? Um, Paul, in writing this letter, uh, as we've been going through this, up to this point in the book of Galatians, Paul has sprinkled in his theology and his truth. He's kind of implied uh, what, what is going on in the, in the Church of Galatia, but only at this point does he actually fully articulate um, what the good news of the gospel is, and does he, in a sense, confront and argue against the false teaching that had been going around, okay? And what's at stake here? Is a couple of things, at least a couple of things. Uh, if you guys are looking at Galatians, uh, Dan read through um, a big chunk in chapter two last week, and in verse four, he said, uh, Paul says this: um, False brothers were secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in, G- in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. And this theme of freedom and slavery is something that Paul will continue as we go forward. But what Paul is saying is the difference between understanding this truth rightly, the the difference between comprehending what Paul says in this section, is the difference between an experience of freedom and an experience of slavery. So I want you to think for a second uh, the difference between those two states, right? So you guys study um, like you know slavery in the United States, and so you kind of have an impression: uh, a slave is someone who does backbreaking labor, who is treated like property by their master, who always is uh, performing to please their master, and depending on how well or poorly they perform, uh, they will be rewarded or punished. That is the experience of a slave. Now, what Paul is saying is. Even if you grew up, grew up in the church, even if you would say that you're Christian and you profess all of the like, core beliefs, so you know we live in America, Christianity has been a huge part of our cultural, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm sorry, the cultural milieu, whatever. Um, it, it's been a huge part of our history. And so we have rubbed shoulders with Christian beliefs and we have some kind of vague understanding of what these beliefs are. And yet Paul is saying, if you misunderstand these things, what you think is Christianity will be the experience of slavery. And we're going to explain what, what that is. And then on the flip side, if you truly understand this, it will be the experience of freedom. And like, can you imagine what it would be like uh, to be an African-American slave um, who was living through the Emancipation Proclamation or different things like that, and all of a sudden your whole life which was completely dictated by the whims of a master, all of a sudden opens up and you can, for the first time in your life, choose. You can choose when you wake up in the morning. You can choose where you wanna go and what you wanna do and how you use your time. You don't have to be um, a slave. You don't have to have the pressure of being a slave. Um, This is the difference, this is such a big deal. So uh, to understand this doctrine truly, is the difference between freedom and slavery. Second, to understand this doctrine truly is the difference between, uh, how would I say this? Uh, the, the difference between uh, a caste system and true Christianity, okay? Where do I get that? There is a controversy that's going on between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and it went something like this. Dan talked about this last week. Uh, Jewish Christians were raised in a religious system that was characterized by keeping certain practices, cleanliness rituals, um, sacrifices that would bring them, that would basically make them acceptable to God. And so to give you a, a sense of how uh, how demanding these uh, rituals were, uh, I want you to think about it like this. So... There's a prohibition in the Old Testament about eating shellfish, right? So you're not allowed to eat shellfish, which sucks. You can't have crab. You can't have lobster. Uh, And so if you had crab at your Mother's Day celebration last night, I'm sorry. You are no longer welcome. Get out. Right? No, no, like, seriously, like, get out. (laughs) I'm not serious. Um, But this is how they would have seen things. So if you, um, the, if you are wearing, OK, I want you to look at the, the tag of your clothing right now. Uh, and I want you to tell me what percentage cotton, what percentage polyester, what, what material, what percentage, maybe some of you are wearing silk. Ooh, um, what percentage of uh, material is your clothing made up? I'm serious. Like, can anyone do that? Can anyone see their tag right now? Do do any of you know what, or look at the tag of someone else. So, Joshua, Amber, tell me what percentages Joshua has. 100%
1: cotton.
0: Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you have passed the test. Because if you were 95% cotton and 5% polyester, you would have to get out. There is a prohibition against wearing mixed fibers in your clothing. So these are just two examples that people often use about the Old Testament to show you how detail-oriented these, these rituals were. And so think about this. Every day, you go, every week when you go to church, to the temple, um, you have been rigidly following this huge host of rules. But it gets even worse than that. For example, um, if you touched a dead animal Uh, you were unclean. But not only this, if you touched someone who touched a dead animal, you're unclean. And so, I mean, honestly, this just reminds me of COVID, right? Where there's like contact tracing. And so, they were the first contact tracers. They would have said, um, I cannot associate with this butcher because they touch dead animals for their work. And so, this is how rigid and so can you imagine how this system, this religious system, would impact your relationships? It would impact who you spend time with, right? This is, the religi- this is a system of religiosity, and we made a contrast between being religious, being irreligious, and the gospel. The gospel is not being religious. The gospel is not being irreligious. Um, it is something else entirely. And so if you misunderstand the gospel, you find that your religious system actually is similar to this system of ceremonial cleanliness. And so Paul was confronting Peter. Peter was an apostle. He was someone who was a disciple of Jesus, who walked with him, who was, um, he, he said, I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. And then he denied Jesus, and then Jesus restored him. And then he was the foundation, he was the most he was one of the most important founding members of the explosion of Christianity um, after Jesus died and rose again. He was, he was, I mean, you know, like Catholics think he's the basis for the Pope, right? Um, he, is, he is that big of a deal. And after 15 to 20 years of ministry where he preached the gospel, he did miracles, he did all of these different things, he had gone back to this religious system where he was excluding people based on their cleanliness and their adherence to Jewish law. And Paul, um, he basically condemns him. He says, what you're doing is out of line with what the gospel is, because the gospel is not about adhering to these religious standards. It's about something different. And so there's this controversy where Paul, go, uh, Peter co- goes to Antioch And when he is initially there, so Antioch is a Gentile area, he was eating with Gentiles, which is really, really shocking. Other Jews would have seen Peter eating with Gentiles. And this would almost be like a South African person who was um, basically believed in apartheid, um, all of a sudden eating with black Africans, right? This is unthinkable. And so all the other... um, I'm not saying every single like white person in South Africa, but, but you know what I mean, right? This is shocking. This is absolutely shocking. And many people would have uh, derided Peter for his not being a good Jew. But Peter did it because he understood the grace of God and what it means to be justified by faith. But then these, these influential Jewish teachers um, th- who came, and Peter all of a sudden Peter was afraid, and he was like, uh-oh, You know, these people are influential. They're really important. I don't want to get in trouble with them. Or, like, what are they going to think? And so he was eating with Gentiles, people who touched meat, people who ate shellfish, people who wore mixed fibers. But all of a sudden, he said, I need to separate from you. I need to pull back. And so this is where Paul comes in and says, you have it completely wrong. And so this is the difference between freedom and slavery— This is the difference between a group of people, a group of Christians, who are characterized by, uh, you could say, racism, uh, superiority, exclusion of people who don't adhere to the group standards. It's the difference between that and an absolutely earth-shattering inclusion of two completely different groups who had been ethnic national enemies for years and years and years. So, this is what's at stake. And so, now when Paul is saying these things in verses 15 through 21, uh, what he's doing is he's saying the things that he said to Peter to confront him. You get me? This is not abstract theology that's just talking about Christianity. This is what it's a summary of what Paul would have said to Peter when he confronted him. And in this summary, is both the very core of Christianity. um, It is the very core of Christianity. um, And really, it is so rich and so deep. That's why I'm spending so much time uh, setting it up before I get into it. Um, But we don't have a lot of time. So uh, what I would like you to do is I want you to increase your comprehension rate slightly as we go through this. I hope I can at least explain some stuff in a way that makes sense to you. Um, so, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm just going to exposit this. We don't have no, uh, much time. So, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the verses and I'm going to explain them and give some implications, okay? So, what's at stake? The difference between freedom. Oh, yeah, the other thing I was going to say is Peter was an apostle, Peter was a disciple of Jesus. And this is, honestly, this is a really big deal. If Peter could go from understanding justification by faith to sliding back into legalism or religiosity, what makes us think that we don't have the tendency to do the same thing? You know what I mean? Peter is like the best Christian ever. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating, but he's like a, he, he's, he is a huge figure. He's a giant in Christianity. And yet, it is so easy for us to go from the sheer grace of God into a type of legalism where all of a sudden we believe that our righteousness and acceptance before God comes from keeping keeping certain practices. And what it looks like for Christians is certain behaviors become the standards of conduct within a group. And whether you adhere to those standards is a mark of whether you are acceptable before God or not. Um, But that's not what the gospel is. That's actually something very different. Okay, So let me go through it. So what Paul is doing in verse 15 is Paul is, is uh, you could almost think of this as like speech and debate, right? He says this, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So first he says, you and me, Peter, we're the same. We grew up within this Jewish religious system where we have the law and we seek to live by the law of God so that we can be, um, we can be righteous before God. We're not like Gentile sinners who don't have access to the law. They don't know what it is, and they don't keep it. So this is the difference between someone who uh, is raised up in church, and they know the Bible, and someone who has no clue what what, uh, Christianity thinks is right or wrong, right? Um, He's saying, I'm like you. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, so there's a contrast he's drawing. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Um, now, let me explain what justified means. Um, to, for someone to be justified means they are declared righteous or right. Um, they are declared innocent. They have a good relationship with what uh, with whatever group. OK? So let me give an example. Um, how many of you, who, who has the fastest internet in the room? Who has the fastest internet in the room? Um, if, if you have really fast internet, you pay monthly to Comcast or whoever it might be, um, AT&T. You, you guys pay... What? That's it. Oh, that's it. Those are the only two options in Almaden. Um, you pay an internet provider and if you have paid your bill, you have been justified with Comcast, right? And because you have a good relationship with them, you have successfully paid your bills they, you, they provide internet for you, right? That's what it means to be justified. It means to be on, in right standing with someone. But what Paul is saying is your whole religious system of believing that you are right with God and have a good relationship with him based on keeping these laws is completely wrong. And this is the difference between freedom and slavery. And let me, let me t- talk to you about it like this. This has all the difference in the world when it comes to your emotional or inner experience of Christianity. Uh, And I feel so strongly about this. I actually, this is one of the few things that I would say I get angry about. Um, When other Christians or people who say that they're Christians, when the emotional heart of the Christianity that they're teaching to people um, feels like pressuring and slavery, it makes me angry. It actually does, and it looks like this. Um, uh, it looks like adherence to external behaviors without any sort of vital life-changing relationship with Jesus as a person. And so when you're raised in youth group, maybe even youth pastors or youth interns like Daniel Gillam do this to you, where um, we, we, we say things like, um, we put pressure on people to perform certain practices Uh, I I hope I never do this, but I'm sure in the past I have. Um, Okay, what I'm trying to say is uh, your emotional experience. Let's say you don't want to pray because you don't really, you're not sure if you believe in God or not. And then Daniel, who's leading your small group, says, you know, whatever, Tammy, can you pray to close? What I hope you would have the freedom to do is to say, no, I'd rather not. And then I would say, okay, that's totally fine. Because Christianity is not coercive. Um, But it's very likely that you have had interactions with Christians or groups of Christians or churches where people say, you have to do it. And this is the emotional, even if they might say, oh, you don't have to do it, like the emotional kind of force behind what they're saying is, you don't have to do it, but you're not a good Christian if you don't. Or you don't have to do it, but God won't love you if you don't. That is absolutely wrong. That is absolutely out of step with the gospel because the gospel is not about adherence to behaviors or standards externally without inner life change. So Christianity here, later on Paul says, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is the inner life of a Christian? The inner life is someone who has been so vitally related to Jesus Christ that their desires change, that their experience of God changes. God is no longer a slave master. God is a loving father. And so when uh, another way of putting this is different religious systems um, all talk about different things, or all talk about three different elements of religion. So there's... Um, there's basically like some kind of element of uh, faith. There's some kind of element of salvation, and there's some kind of element of obedience, right? So what Paul, what Peter is saying is if you believe in Jesus Christ and you obey the law, then you will be saved. But what Paul is saying, and this is totally radical, and if you don't understand how radical this is, you don't get it, you are if you have faith in Jesus, you are saved apart from anything you do. This means if you are if you believe in Jesus and nothing about the behaviors in your life changes initially, you are still saved and loved and accepted and justified by God. This is absolutely mind-boggling. And what this means is for kids and youth group there's one kid who does all of the right external actions that a youth group member should do. They lead music. They pray when Tammy asks them to pray in small group. They read the Bible. They have a lot of Bible knowledge. On the outside, they look great. But they on the inside, if they don't understand that they are accepted, even when they don't do any of those things, then they don't understand the gospel. On the other hand, there could be someone who is intensely struggling with, obe- with doing these, like, church things. They-, they could struggle with addiction. They could struggle with pride, whatever it might be. They could have their life. Their life could be a total mess. And yet, if they understand that they are loved and accepted on the basis of what Jesus did, they got it. That is the gospel. They are, because of their trust in what Jesus did on the cross, they are saved. And then, only then when they understand that God loves and accepts them regardless of what they do, does their life start to change and they start to become more and more, um, in a sense, obedient, if you wanna say that, um, to what is pleasing to God. But the motivation is totally different. One of them is a slave. One of them is a performance mentality, where you think that God is like an accountant, like some kind of divine accountant who says, um, or like God is keeping score. Here, I'm tabulating the amount of good things you did how many times you read your Bible, how many times you pray. And I'm tabulating all the bad stuff you did. You lied to your parents. You disobeyed them. Uh, you you know played too much video games. And then based on the number, if it's positive, you're good. If it's negative, you're out. That's not how God works at all. That's not how God works at all. Instead, your experience is freedom. And so now, like, again, Peter had been an apostle for 15 to 20 years. And yet, Peter... Slipped up. Peter f- stopped to live in line with this gospel, this truth. Yeah, see so you guys are around. Have have a good uh, hymn singing thing. Yeah, everyone. Um, there the uh, the choir is performing some uh, Mother's Day hymns uh, that Auntie Grace wrote, I think. So the, the, that's why where the choir members are going. <laughs> Bye, Dennis. Dude, Dennis looks so cute in his tie. I can't, I can't even handle it. I can't even handle it. Now, do you see how um, these two different standards, these two different understandings, um, what I was saying was, if Peter can fail to understand what the gospel is, when he was a disciple of Jesus and been, had been ministering for 15 to 20 years, been doing, done miracles, all these things, what makes us think that we understand it? Honestly, what makes us think that we are not simply, like, on we, we think we understand the gospel, but really it's just religion. And let me give you a few tests that you can kind of see to show how much you understand this. Um, what do you do when you sin? Uh, what we believe sin is, is sin is something that uh, is displeasing to God, we could say that, um, but sin is basically not living... Um, up to the way God intended us to live. Um, and so there are a lot of different ways. You could think about sin as like transgressing the law. You could think of sin as missing the mark, whatever it might be. Um, how do you respond to sin? A religious person, when they sin, they beat themselves up. They do penance. They flagellate themselves, which is like this is what monks would do in the past. You get like a whip, and for, every, for your sin, you whip yourself on the back 10 times and then God will forgive you because you punished yourself enough. That's that's yeah, it's it's that painful. <laughs> it's that painful, little baby. Um, that's that's not that's not uh, real. Man, I, I keep on getting distracted by all the exciting stuff. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's how a religious person responds to when they sin. When a Christian person, so okay, there is a sense of grief and guilt, that you did something wrong. There might be a sense of regret, like I wish I didn't do that, um, that, that that is all there. For a Christian, you, have, you might have a sense of grief or like displeasing God, where um, when I do something, uh, th- there's a passage where it talks about being able to grieve the Holy Spirit. But the motivation and the response to this sin is completely different when you understand what the gospel is. If you're religious, you sin, and then you try to do something and work. In a sense, you try to do some kind of religious action to make yourself right before God again. And what this looks like is, um, for, for Christians, you feel guilty, and there's sort of like an emotional waiting period where you have to feel bad about yourself for about three days. And then if you pray hard enough, then you, you're you like, okay, fine. Because I did all this stuff, God forgives me again. If you're a Christian and you understand the gospel, your repentance actually becomes joyful. Let me say that again. Your repentance becomes joyful. When I sin, and I don't always feel like this. I still have the like religiosity in me. I still can feel bad about doing stuff that I shouldn't. But when I sin, my experience is, look, God, I messed up again. But I am so thankful that this no longer keeps me from being right with you and our relationship is still good. It's not because of what I, the good stuff I do or the bad stuff I avoid. It's because of what Jesus did, and so my experience in repentance is actually this. There's a, there's a passage where um, you know, you, Luke 15, um, a son spits in his father's face, says, give me, give me the inheritance, and he runs away to a land where he squanders all his riches. And then he's walking back to his father, imagining that his father would hire him as a slave so he can work off the debt he owes to his dad but when he gets with when his dad is his dad is looking on a on a watchtower waiting for his son to come back his dad sees him he runs to him and he just hugs him that is the experience of a christian repenting when i repent i don't pretend like i didn't do something wrong I don't deny. I don't justify myself saying like, "Oh, I was ang I was really tired and hungry, that's why I cut that person off." I say I did wrong. But because of Jesus, God welcomes me with open arms, and he says, "I love you so much." And here's the crazy thing. This completely changes your emotional experience of Christianity, where every time I sin, because as a Christian, you will continue to sin. But when I sin, I don't I don't I just I I don't beat myself up. I don't feel over. I don't feel frustrated because God is not surprised. Like God is not caught off guard when we do things wrong. Instead, what God is saying to you in that moment is this is exactly the reason why I sent Jesus to die, to die for you. And Jesus is on that cross. He carried that very sin that you just did. He is not surprised. He died on the cross. He said, "I have been crucified with Christ." Um, On the cross, he took that sin on himself so that you could be forgiven and right with God. It is a completely different way of living, and the emotional experience is completely different. And so here's the crazy thing. The moments where I sin in the ways that makes me feel most ashamed and guilty, um, in many moments, God has given me... God God has basically, like, by his Spirit... How do I explain this? Reminded me of the truth of his grace and forgiveness for me, where I'm brought to tears by how God forgives me when I sin. And this is something like the experience of being a Christian, where a religious person either completely avoids sin so they don't have to repent, um, or when they do sin, they try to do something to make themselves feel better. Um, Let me give you an example, another example. Uh, there is a famous Christian named John Wesley. Uh, this is a, um, to illustrate the, the difference between religiosity and Christianity. There's a guy named John Wesley. This guy's a genius. Um, he, he, uh, him and his friends went to Oxford University in England. right? And when he was in an undergrad, our equivalent of an undergrad, um, people started to call him and his friends uh, kind of a nasty name. they They called him, they called them the Methodists, which basically means they took religion so seriously, and they were so serious about fasting and reading the Bible and praying all night that they were like making fun of them. They were making fun of them, calling them Methodists. Um, but what John Wesley says is when john wesley, uh, John Wesley, finally understood what the gospel was, um, he realized that all of his religious work before had been trying to win acceptance with God through their religious efforts. What I'm saying is, uh, John Wesley, all of those things he did was actually for the purpose of making God accept him based on his effort. But when Paul says, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me, um, he's saying, I no longer live to the law. Um, I no longer live to a religious system uh, where do good, you get rewarded. Do bad, you get punished. You're, you're dead to that. You're dead to the law. Um, instead, I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I knew now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Um, what does it look like to the internal experience of a Christian It's someone who says, no matter what I do, um, I am loved by Jesus Christ, and he gave himself for me. And therefore, I am justified with God. I am acceptable before him. He loves me and accepts me, regardless of what I do. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Um, Is your Christianity more about what you are doing or is it more about what Jesus has done? Is the emphasis in your thinking, I need to find the right techniques to be a good Christian? I need to avoid sin, and I need to do enough good things to deserve God's favor? Or is it saying, I stop working to win God's acceptance? It is not based on anything I can do, it is based on what Jesus did. So let me let me give one final illustration. To close with, um, you have fallen into sinking sand, into quicksand. You guys all know what quicksand is. In the jungle, um, there's some kind of like hole, and there's like a layer of sand. You fall in, the sand is like flowing down into a, a crevice, and you're pulled in. Right? Uh, being trying to save yourself through your religious efforts. Is like flailing around in the quicksand, and one thing about quicksand is, in many cases, the harder you try to get out, the more you you basically shake the sand around and make it fall through faster, so you sink even quicker. And so, what they tell you to do if you get into sink to quicksand is get really, really big. So you want the most surface area. If you have any sort of like large like If for some reason you have like a a snow sled or something, you like put it on the sand and you just like hold it there and you stay as still as you can because that's the slowest way to sink, right? But the more you make effort, the quicker you sink. And so in the same way, Christianity, if you're trying to do all this stuff, it'll just make you sink. It'll just make you feel pressure and enslaved and guilty. And your relationship with God will be on the basis of a slave and a master relationship. But if, you, if it's all about what you're doing and your effort, you just sink faster. And so this is why I get so angry when churches are all about your effort and what you do. What Christianity is, is to say, it is absolutely hopeless for me to save myself in this sinking sand. The only person who can save me is someone who is standing on solid ground and someone who can reach his arm out to me and grab me and pull me out. And so that's Jesus. If you're a Christian, your life is characterized by praise and thankfulness and gratitude for what Jesus did. He took someone who had no chance of saving themselves. No matter how hard I tried to be religious, I couldn't do it. But then he reached out to me and saved me. And he is the one who lives in me now, where I have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ in me as a result of being made right with God, And his power, his love, his life is in me, which empowers me to live differently. And it's not by my effort. It's not by trying to keep the law. It's based on what Jesus did. So one final test. Um, How much is your life with God, your life in church, whatever it might be, characterized by an honest, sincere desire to give thanks to Jesus Christ for dying for you? Or how much of it is saying, I don't really need any help I can basically live good. I can basically do all these religious things. Um, I don't need a savior. Um, It is so subtle, and we will never have joy in our salvation if we don't understand the distinction between the gospel and religiosity or the gospel and irreligiosity. Um, I I really hope that you can ponder this. You can reread through this passage. I hope you could admit to yourself if most of your Christian life is characterized by a sense of God watching you and judging you, or if most of your Christian life is characterized by a sense that I can't please God based on my effort, but yet he loves me the way a father loves their child because of what Jesus did. And so if your experience is not that, learn what this passage means. Learn what it means that you are justified by faith, by your trust in Jesus, not based on anything you do. And then once you do this, your inner life will be transformed. You will have freedom and joy and love and peace in Jesus Christ, not in anything you do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I praise you that you are so gracious to us Um, It is so hard for our heart to believe that you are gracious to us, but you are. And so I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, by your word, by your power, you would be breaking down uh, the lies and deception of the devil uh, who would try to... uh, Yeah, who who would try to make us doubt your love and grace towards us. I pray, Lord, for those of us who are struggling with religiosity and this legal spirit, that by your word you would set us free, um, and that we would have joy and peace in knowing that we are perfectly loved and accepted, completely apart from anything we do, and that that gives us the freedom to obey you out of joy and gratitude. Um, So I pray, Lord, for our church that we would not um, have an admixture of grace and legalism, but that you would be purifying us and helping us understand your gospel truly and that would change us and free us. We really love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.